In this series of sermons that I've been preaching, I have been finding individuals in the Bible who are not necessarily prominent people, and in some cases we don't know a whole lot about them, and we've looked at their lives and tried to glean the truth from their story, why God put it on the hearts of the writers to include these people in uh, the story that God has given us known as the Bible. Well, this morning, we're going to look at a whole series of scriptures. You can see them on the screen, and they're going to be up there for the bulk of my sermon, so that way you don't have to uh, freak out trying to figure out where we're going to be going. Um, but the very first section we're going to look at is chapter 14 of Mark. So if you will, join with me as we read Mark chapter 14, verses 51 A certain young man was following Jesus. Now, let me set this up for you. This was taking place right at the time of the arrest. Okay? So Jesus has already had his last supper with his disciples in the upper room. They have sung the hymn. They have then gone out from there and gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they have gone through what I just shared with the kids about the three times where Jesus was praying and the sweating the blood. And then in one verse, I think it was Luke shares that the angels came and they ministered to Jesus. And then finally Jesus goes and wakes up his disciples. And he says, it's time. And the the soldiers come, Judas comes, kisses Jesus on the cheek. And then the soldiers arrest Jesus and they take him away. And at the moment that they're arresting Jesus, it's like all of the disciples scattered like roaches when a light comes on. They just scurried away in fear for their own lives. And so we now read in Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is being led away, 14 verses 51 to 52, a certain young man was following Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of the young man, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. That's an interesting story. What truth can we gain from this? Anyone? Thoughts? He was in a hurry. What do you think his mindset must have been at that moment? I think it was a little bit more than fear. Because I wouldn't necessarily run naked just because I was afraid. But if I was white hot fear out of my mind crazy with fear afraid that I'm going to be killed fear then I think I might run off naked what we don't get in this story is who this was so we have to do some biblical deduction and that's what we're going to do this morning Um, I am not taking you on a rabbit trail. This is what scholarly thinking thinks. However, we all have to say, every scholar has to say, the biblical account does not tell us the identity of this young man. We can only make our best guess. But I'm pretty convinced that I know who this was. So let's go ahead and look. Acts chapter 11 Verses 28 to 30. Paul and Barnabas 
are living in Antioch. And one of the prophets, verse 28 of chapter 11, one of the prophets in the church, named his name was Agabus, stands up and predicts by the Holy Spirit that there is going to be a severe famine all over the world. Now, when it says all over the world, they're probably talking about the Middle East, their area of the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples determined that according to their ability, each of them would send relief to the believers who were living in Judea, specifically sending the relief to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And they did this. They took up a collection, and then they sent it with Barnabas and Saul down to Jerusalem. Now, during that time, Barnabas and Saul... Um, excuse me, now if you go to Acts chapter 12, verse 25, okay? Acts, and I'm skipping 11 to 14 intentionally, so don't, don't freak out. I'll be coming back to that in just a second. Go to Acts chapter 12, verse 25. After completing their mission, Barnabas, and what was the mission? Bringing the, the relief offering from the church at Antioch down to the church in Judea, which is how centered, the, the headquarters was centered in Jerusalem. So then after the completing their mission, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem and brought with them John, whose other name was Mark. A lot of time we know him as John Mark. We don't know a whole lot about John Mark from what we see in the Bible, but some of the things we can glean about John Mark is he had a Jewish or a Hebrew name and he had a Roman or a Gentile name. Excuse me. Um, and so we can infer that he had a mixed heritage. His mother was Jewish, his father was a Roman citizen, probably. Now, if you go back up to 11, I mean to chapter 12, verses 11 to 14, okay? So we know that John, that Barnabas and Saul have been sent from Antioch Church down to Jerusalem to bring an offering of relief because of a famine that was supposed to be going on. And while they were there, they came in contact with a man named John Mark who accompanies them back to Antioch after this mission is complete. But while they're in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 12, verse 11 through 14, Peter gets arrested. And James, the brother of Jesus, gets arrested and killed. And Peter is in the prison about to be killed. And it says an angel of God comes to Peter in the middle of the night and literally leads him miraculously through the prison as bars and doors open. And Peter literally is led by the angel out of the prison while no one is paying any attention to him. And he ends up in the streets of Jerusalem. And it literally says then in verse 11 of chapter 12, then Peter came to himself. What that indicates is that he must have been in some form of a trance or some form of a uh, an altered consciousness. We're not sure exactly what was going on, but now he comes to himself and he's like, that wasn't a dream. That wasn't a vision. I'm really free? I'm really out? Woohoo! And so where does he go? He goes to the place where the church is headquartered in Jerusalem. There's a physical location. Where is that physical location? We see it right here in these verses. He comes to himself and said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realizes this, 
He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked on the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer, and on recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate and letting him in, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. And we know the rest of that story. But what we've just understood now is that Barnabas and Saul have come to the leadership of the church of Jerusalem. The leaders of the church, James and Peter, have been arrested during their time that Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem. James is killed. Great persecution is rising up against the Christians. Peter is arrested and miraculously released from prison. And Peter shows up at the house where they are headquartered to tell them God has heard their prayers and has released them, released him, but he's not going to stay with them. Why? Because everyone knew where the church was headquartered. So it would make sense that the leader of the church, if he escaped prison, would head to the place where it was headquartered. So Peter says, I'm not going to stay here, folks. I'm going to go someplace else where I'm safe, but I just wanted to let you know God has answered your prayers and I'm out. But we now know from what Luke told us in his writing that this place where the church was headquartered was owned by a widow whose name was Mary who had a son named John Mark. Okay? Now, why would the church be headquartered in that house? Is it possible that that house was the house where Jesus had his last supper with his friends. Again, we're not given the location, but tradition and scholarly understanding is that that's indeed what happened. So now we know that this Jewish woman named Mary, who had been married to a Roman citizen who is unnamed, she's a widow now, she now owns that house because her husband left it to her, and her son John Mark lives with her. Now, go back to Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52, where we have this young man who is following Jesus after the Last Supper, walking out with the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and stays with them until the time of the arrest, when in a white-hot panic, he's grabbed by the clothing that he was wearing, which was nothing more than a linen wrap, and he runs off naked through the streets of Jerusalem back to wherever he lives, which, if indeed this is John Mark, he went back to his mom's house. Now, let me give you one more surmise. How did Jesus' friends know where Jesus wanted the house, the, the room for their last supper to be held? What did he tell his disciples? Follow the guy who was carrying a pot of water on his head through the streets. Why was that even important? I mean, wouldn't there be people carrying pots of water through, their, through the streets wearing a pot on their head? Not a man. Especially not in the middle of the day. One person I read said the reason that John Mark got tasked by his mother to go collect water 
was because she knew they were having a special event that night and all of the household servants were already busy with all of their other things. And so she had been already made aware that Jesus was planning to come and that he would be sending his disciples to her. And so she turns and says, John, I need you to go and get some water from the well. Um, Mary's busy. I mean, Sophie's busy. Rhoda's busy. All the rest of them are busy. You go run. Mom! Did I mention, John, that I'm your mother and I've asked you to do something? Mother, do you understand what you're asking of me? I mean, come on. Guys, don't do that. I am your mother and this is something that needs to be done. Now go. And so John Mark, the young man, who is humiliated at this point, grabs the water jug, walks to the center of the town where the well is, dips up the water, and carries it back like a girl. <laughs> Leading the disciples of Jesus to the room where the Last Supper is to be held. Now, John Mark was not a member of Jesus' disciples, therefore he wouldn't have been in the room of the Last Supper. He would have been in his own home, probably in his own bedroom, probably sleeping in that late evening while Jesus and his disciples were having their late evening event. But something must have woken him. And he noticed that Jesus and his disciples are going out down the outer steps of the home into the street. And so he's like, wonder where they're going. And in his haste, grabs the sheet off of his bed wraps himself in it, and joins them. Now, it sounds unrealistic. He's wrapping himself in a sheet. Well, what did people wear back then? They didn't wear trousers and button-down shirts. They wore robes. So maybe it was just a robe, or maybe it was indeed the sheet off of his bed, but we know from the Bible it was a linen cloth. So he joins the party, but he's not part of the party. So he's kind of there, but not there. So he's probably walking behind the crowd, but walking with them to where they're going because he wants to see what's going on. And then we see, ah, and but he's hiding in the bushes because he's not part of them, he's just hiding there. And all of a sudden, one of the guards turns and sees this guy standing in the bushes wearing a thing and comes up and goes, hey, you! And grabs the cloth. And he screams, ah, like a little girl, and runs butt naked through the streets back to his house. Possible, plausible, probable. What we do know from the Bible, we already read it. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Barnabas and Saul, after all of that, who are still staying probably with Mary, the woman who's hosting the church in her home, decide to go back to Antioch and they bring with them Barnabas. I mean, bring with them Mark. Oh, the one thing that we haven't identified yet. Barnabas was a relative to Mary. Now, we're not given clear understanding from the scriptures. Was he her brother, and therefore he was the uncle to John Mark? Or was he her cousin, and therefore cousin to John Mark? Depends on who you read. Depends on who's translating the scriptures. Some places you will see that he was the cousin of. But regardless, John Mark was related by blood to Barnabas. So Barnabas then says to Paul, let's take John Mark, my cousin or my nephew, with us. And he goes, sure, let's go. So they go back up to Antioch, and John Mark goes with them. This is so cool. I'm going on this missionary trip with these guys. This is so cool. And then, 
<coughs> excuse me, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who were called Niger, Lucius the Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They, the leaders of the church in Antioch. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John also to assist them. So what we understand is on the very first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas went on, they brought John, the missionary, I mean, the the relative of uh, Barnabas. And so he has gone with them to Cyprus. And interestingly, Barnabas is from, Barnabas' family is from Cyprus. And so that's the first location that they go. It's possible, though we're not giving any of that, that Barnabas was the one that said, why don't we go to Cyprus? That's where I'm from. I got some family there, some relatives. I got some contacts. We can go and talk with them. You know, missionaries like to have somebody that's a warm lead when they go someplace. So let's go to Cyprus. But then Paul gets it in his head. Hey, I want to go up to Pamphylia and up into the, what we now know as Turkey. And um, so Paul, verses th- chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and John go up to, per- to Pamphylia, to Pergamon, uh, to Paphos. And in verse 13 of chapter 13, we see John leaves them and goes to Jerusalem. We're not told why. We don't know. Nobody has any idea. Lots of conjecture. It could be that John was too young and just wasn't coming. It could be that John and Paul really didn't get along because Paul was pretty brusque and John was a little mama's boy. It could be that John was scared to death of the, the world that he was seeing and he was like, ah, it's not what I signed up for. You guys are the missionaries. All I am here is to assist you. You can get anybody to assist you. I'm out. Who knows what happened? Could be that he was sick. We don't know. But what we do know is that Paul didn't appreciate it. Because if you go to Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41, Paul and Barnabas had finished their missionary journey. And they're back now at Antioch. And it says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, well, let's go back and return and visit all those believers in the cities where we proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. And Barnabas says, well, that's a great idea, Paul. Why don't we bring John Mark with us? And Paul's like, I don't think so. No. Well, come on. No. Come on, Paul. No. He walked out on us. No. Paul, come on. No. I said, no, you're not going to change my mind. And it literally got such a heated argument between Paul and Barnabas that they literally split up as missionaries and went their separate ways. And we're never told that they ever went together again. And Barnabas takes John Mark with him on his journey where he goes. And then we, the focus of the book of Acts now goes on to Paul and Silas. Now, there's a couple other scripture verses I want to look at and I want to wrap us up. If you turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18 which is the the scripture that has been in front of you most of the morning. 
Romans chapter 12, 18 says, and this is Paul talking, okay? It's interesting that it's coming from the hand of Paul. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Then turn to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and he says in verse 10, These other people are greeting you, the ones who are with me. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. What? Wait a minute, wait a minute. The last time we heard anything about Paul and John Mark was Paul didn't want to have anything to do with that little lowlife who didn't want to stick it out, who was too weak and too wimpy to stick it out. What in the world is he doing working with Paul? What happened? We're not given any of that in the scriptures. But we know that something happened. There was some form of reconciliation between John Mark and Paul. To the point where John Mark is is mentioned as a fellow worker with Paul while he's in prison. Again, probably a helper. Probably an assistant. And he says, if he comes to you, I commend him to you. Welcome him. That's an interesting change of heart. For someone to have become the, the wedge between very godly human beings, as he was between Barnabas and Saul, to become a trusted co-worker who, whom Paul will recommend to others and say, if he comes to you, welcome him, because he's worthy of your welcome. Something significant changed. Now, before we get into anything else that we discuss, let's look at the last section, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a pastor at this time, a young pastor, and he says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Damas, in love with his present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is here with me. And when you come, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful in my ministry. See, it's not just a reconciliation that has taken place between Paul and John Mark. But he, wel he welcomes him, he recommends him to others, and he publicly says, I have found him to be very helpful and useful in my own ministry. So John has become... This, John Mark, has become this vital part of Paul the Apostle's ministry. Well, something else that we're not told in this, but we can surmise as we read through history, some of the, some of the early, early, early commentators from the 200s and the 300s and the 400s, when Paul and Barnabas split because of this wedge, John Mark, that came between them, Barnabas takes Paul with him on the next missionary journey. 
And somehow, some way, Barnabas introduces John Mark to Peter. Now remember, where was Peter headquartered when he was arrested and miraculously released from prison? Where was the church's headquarters? In the home of John Mark's mother. So Peter already knew John Mark from his years, you know, years and years ago when he was in the early days of the church. But somehow, some way, Barnabas reconnects with Peter and John Mark, this great helper, connects with Peter while Peter is in Rome. Now, Peter is an uneducated fisherman. He probably never made it past any schooling other than the little bit of Shabbat school that he attended up until his 11th year. He's never had any formal training. But he's now living in a city where Latin is spoken. And it is presumed, based on every evidence that we have from commentators, that John Mark, who was part Roman and part Jewish, and in the culture of the Romans, became the interpreter for Peter. And he literally worked alongside Peter, and he is mentioned by Peter, <coughs> excuse me, in Peter's writings as well, which I don't have them up there, but he's mentioned by Peter in his own writings. And the end result is what you haven't probably ever heard before unless you've studied really hard the, the book of Mark, is the book of Mark, which oh, was written by John Mark, was actually a collection of the sermons of Peter. Now, have you guys ever heard of Oswald Chambers? Anybody use the Oswald Chambers devotional? Who wrote it? Hmm? He wrote the words. His wife was the editor who then published it. How in the world could she be the editor? Her husband was dead. They had only been married seven years when he died suddenly. She had a collection of all of his sermons. Incorrect. She was a court stenographer. It was her job to do verbatim writing as witnesses and lawyers and judges were speaking in the court. She literally did hand notes, verbatim notes, as her husband would preach. She was doing it just for herself. But then he dies suddenly, and she's left without any means of supporting herself. But she has seven years worth of notes of her husband's sermons. And so she gets the idea to publish them. And she, she publishes the book, My Utmost for His Highest, using the words of her husband as she recorded them in her profession as a court stenographer. In the same way, Peter preaching Mark recording, and then after Peter's death, history tells us that Mark took all of his notes from Peter's sermons and compiled the Gospel of Mark. 
Now think about this. The, well, one more thing that you need to know, that you may or may not know, depending on how much you've studied the book of Mark. Did you know that there are three Gospels that are called the Synoptic Gospels? Of the four Gospels in the Bible, three of them are called Synoptic. Do you know what that term means? Same vision, same eye, if you will. Same look. What happened, literally, scholars tell us, Mark was the earliest written gospel of all four gospels. Matthew and Luke used Mark's gospel as the foundation for their gospels. And then after those three gospels were written, John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John. So Mark, who early in his young life was a freak who ran at a, from his own shadow and freaked out, literally running naked through the streets, screaming, Mama, Mama, Mama! Who runs away from adversity when he's on the mission field for whatever reason, but probably because he was a wimp. This wedge literally became the foundation of the New Testament. That's fact. We're not sure that he was the kid carrying the water jug, but we are 100% sure. Scholars are not contesting at all that John Mark was the young man who ran screaming naked through the streets. One commentator wrote, it's interesting that he put it in his gospel, because it's innocuous. Why would he do that? It was his way of personal testimony saying, I was there. Because you see, one of the challenges to Mark's authorship was, who were you? You weren't even one of the apostles. You're just a nobody. And he said, I may not be anybody of importance, however, I'm using Peter's words, the Peter. Remember Jesus said, on this rock, this is the Peter we're talking about, and I'm using his words for this gospel. So I'm not saying it on my own authority. I'm not saying I was an eyewitness to all of this, but I am telling you that I spent years as the assistant, as the interpreter, as the amanuensis for the apostle Peter. And these are his words. But imagine the change in that young man's heart as an older man who <coughs> literally, as history tells us, became a pastor and a bishop in Northern Africa before he was martyred for his faith. Powerful, powerful story of transformation. But it came about because of one, I believe, one specific thing. There was a restoration of relationship between the, the chief leader of the, of the church, Paul, and John Mark. Because I can tell you from my own personal story, I have messed up big time, many times in my life. And I have felt that big. I have felt like I could walk upright under an ant. That's how small I was in my own eyes. And God has redeemed that in me. God has made me understand. Quite honestly, folks, who am I to stand behind the sacred desk and proclaim that the word of God is coming out of my mouth? The Holy Spirit of God has done that. 
not Bob Sugden. In myself, I'm nothing. But because of the holy unction of God, because of the anointing of God on my life, because of the recognition of the denomination of the Church of the Nazarene, I have authority to stand here before you and there and say to you, thus says the Lord. And I don't worry about what you think because I know this is coming from God's heart. But it wouldn't have been possible for me to stand here with this confidence without some type of a transaction having taken place in my own life where people spoke to me and affirmed me and said, I see in you the gifting and the grace. And I honestly believe that that's what happened between Paul and John Mark sometime in their path. John Mark was living faithfully before the church and the world even though he was a screw-up. Even though he had ruined everything. Even though he was faithless. But he had remained as faithful as he could. And there were people who came alongside him who lifted him up. And finally, something happened in a reconciliation between him and Paul. Which meant there had to be a change of Paul's heart too. So there's this big wig, this big shot, Paul, who could have squashed John Mark like a bug with a word. He could have destroyed any hope of John Mark ever having a fruitful ministry just because of who he was and what he thought of John Mark. But Paul somehow, someway, had his heart changed to the point where he tells people, John Mark is a co-worker of mine. John Mark is a helper of mine and I find him very useful in my ministry. If he comes your way, welcome him. You can trust him. That's pretty powerful. So that's the story of this guy who ran running naked through the streets of Jerusalem after the arrest of Jesus. The wedge that ruined relationship and destroyed ministry became the foundation pretty much of all of God's, all of Christian teaching because of his faithful ministry through the years and because of God affecting restoration and redemption. That's a powerful story. So this is what you're going to do for the next few minutes. You're going to sit quietly and you're going to listen to a video. It's a, it's a music video. And I want you to reflect. Are you Paul? Or are you John Mark? Are you the one who holds the power in your hands to lift somebody up? Someone who's harmed you, someone who's caused you uh, disappointment, someone who has brought shame to you, someone who is whatever. But there's a broken relationship between you and them, and it's their fault. Are you John Mark? Are you the one that caused the break? Are you the one, because of your weakness, brought shame and disrepute? Are you the one that needs a Paul to come alongside you and to declare you worthy? Think about it as you listen to this song.